With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, everyone. This is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. You're now listening to the Destination Debbie Podcast. I present your host, Ray Garvin, the creator of Destination Debbie, and your go-to source for all things Debbie and college football. a stir on Twitter last week when I posted about the 2021 class. And what I said was, outside of the running back position, because it is unquestioned, the 2020 class of running backs is absolutely ridiculous. From the top through the middle down towards the bottom, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm not even going to sit here and try to make a claim that the 2021 class of running backs even compares to 2020 at this point in time. But... But the 2021 class of wide receivers, tight ends, and especially the quarterbacks, when you're looking at the top end of those 2021 wide receivers, they rival the 2020 class. And I don't think they take a backseat at all whatsoever to the guys who are coming out in 2020. And that is not an indictment. That is not disrespect. That is not looking too far ahead. That is not diminishing the 2020 class in any way. Jerry Judy, LaVisca Chenault, Jalen Rager, T. Higgins, Tyler Johnson, Devonta Smith, just to name a few in the depth of that class. Once you start getting into players in the 14s and the 15s and the 19s, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Devin DuVernay, Isaiah Hodgins, you know, it just the list goes on and on and on. But the top end of 2021, it rivals and it may be even better than 2020 when you're talking about Jamar Chase and Rondell Moore. Rashad Bateman, Justin Ross, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Seth Williams. I will put those guys up against anybody in the 2020 class and not think twice about it. It is that good. It is that talented. And when I posted this tweet, the Twitter comedians, the Twitter literaries came out of the woodworks with some of the most original jokes and commentary that I've ever seen. 
Ah, here we go again. I knew it was going to happen. The next class is always better than the class before. We've already started. And oh, one is good. Wait till you get a load of 2056. Like, ha, 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 ha. You're so funny. And what I say to people is those individuals making those jokes, those are the marks. <laughs> those are people you mark. And if you play in Dynasty Leagues with any of those individuals, that's who you exploit. And I'm telling you right now, if I were in leagues with any of those people, I would screw them so bad, so good, just nasty, dirty screw that when I was done with them, they wouldn't want to play Dynasty anymore because those are the people who aren't playing chess. They're playing checkers. They're thinking about 2020 and that's it. And the whole name of the game is to be competitive Every single year, right? Not just next year, not just the year after. It's to position your team for long and short-term success. And if you do it right, if you know what's coming in 2021, two years before they declare, if you potentially know what's coming in 2022, you can leverage things this year, right now, to position yourself to be successful for the foreseeable future. And I'm not telling you to avoid 2020. I'm not telling you to fade anything about 2020. If you listen to this podcast and you are getting the impression that I'm telling you to fade 2020, I need to shut the whole thing down. This is episode 36. There doesn't need to be a 37, a 38, or 39. I need to text Ryan McDowell today and tell him, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of the DLF family of podcast, but I need to resign from doing this because I have given out such bad information that nobody deserves to listen to this ever again, and I apologize to you. But fortunately, that's not what I'm doing because if you know, you know. Those of you who know... You know that I'm not telling you to fade 2020. What I'm telling you to do is in your rookie drafts, leading up to your rookie drafts, while people are freaking out and going crazy about third and fourth round 2020 rookie draft picks, which there's going to be some good value there. If you can flip any of those picks, if you can sell off an aging NFL asset, an Adam Thielen, and get walk away with the 2021 first and second, a 2021 second, a 2021 first, you do that. You do that every single time because that class is going to be good. The tight end position we're talking about in 2020, and I, and I, and I do think there are some talented potential prospects in the 2020 class. Bryson Hopkins, Hunter Bryant, Harrison Bryant, Adam Troutman, those guys, they've got the potential to be all right. But Brevin Jordan, Kyle Pitts, Friar Muth out of Penn State, those guys have the potential to be freaking out of this world rock stars at the next level. The quarterbacks, does anybody really want to debate Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Tua Tungvaloa, who, you know, I still have high hopes for, but is coming off a devastating hip injury. Do we really want to compare those guys to Justin Fields, to Trevor Lawrence, to Brock Purdy? No. <laughs> No, you don't, you can't, and we won't do that. The 2021 class is good. And if you think I'm just being contrarian, if you think it's just being prisoner of the moment or just saying that next year's class is always better than the year before, that's bull. Go back to episode one. 
go back to episode two, I've told you and I've maintained throughout the entire duration of this show for as long as I've been putting out content on Twitter that these next two NFL draft classes, 2020 and 2021, are going to usher in an entire new wave, an influx of NFL talent. I'm sorry to tell you, but the guys that we've loved for years and years of dynasty and fantasy football, redraft fantasy football, the days of Julio Jones, of Le'Veon Bell, of David Johnson, of Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, they're coming to, they've got less time in the game than they have more time in. Keenan Allen, Adam Thielen, all of these guys that have, have been staples of our teams, of our rosters for so long, their time in the sun is, is, is coming to an end. It's fading. And that's a reality. Father time is undefeated. And the talent level of these next two classes are going to push some of those guys out. They may not push them completely out of the door, but some of that elite level production that we expect out of these guys you are just hanging on to the past and you have to move forward. You can't continue to reach back and think that you're going to get the production of David Johnson in 2015, 2016. It's not happening. It's done. I've held David Johnson in the league all year long, just hoping for a glimpse of that magic that he had early in his career. And you know what? It's gone. And that's not to say that he can't be a successful running back uh, at spurts throughout points in his career for whatever time he has left. It's not saying that Julio Jones can't go out there and deliver a monster performance, you know, a couple of weeks in a row. But when you're talking about dynasty and building your team for the future, these guys are 31. AJ Green, what, 31 going on 32? I know we love these players and we love these names, but you have to start thinking ahead, thinking of the future without. And these next two classes, again, are going to usher in an entire new wave of dynamite-level talent. Will they become Julio Jones? Is LaVisca Chenault going to be the next Julio Jones? Is Jerry Judy going to be the next Amari Cooper? Is Jalen Rager going to become this all-pro NFL talent? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is some of these aging NFL veterans have less time than they have more time. So looking ahead to 2020 to 2021, you have to do it. If you want to stay ahead of the curve, that's what you have to do. So all the comedians out there who think that I'm just saying this because next year's class is always better than the year before, go check my track record. I was not saying this in 2019. While everybody was picking and drafting in 2019, I was positioning my teams for these next two classes. Because 2019 does not hold a candle to what's about to happen in 2020. And I know right now it's really hard to grasp the concept of what's going to go on. But when you look at the Senior Bowl roster and the wide receivers at the Senior Bowl level, the running backs that are going to be at the Senior Bowl, Darius Anderson, Keyshawn Vaughn, Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman, Devin DuVernay, Antonio Gandy-Golden, the four receivers that I just named, if they were eligible for the 2019 NFL draft, they all would have went first round. They would have went first round. The hell with Paris Campbell, all right? A.J. Brown is a freaking stud. D.K. Metcalf looks good. Darrell Henderson in the first, are you kidding me? David Montgomery? And I know there's some Miles Sanders truthers out there, but get out of here. And that's just the reality of it. I wasn't doing it in 2019 because I do my EDU. I pay attention. I follow the college game. 
I knew it wasn't going to be what's coming in the next couple of years. So I just say that to say, when the time comes, and there will be a time, you go ahead and move some of those age and NFL vets, and you go ahead and acquire a couple of those 2021 first, get you a 2022nd. Because that class, just as excited as we are right now about 2020, it's going to be even more because of what's going to happen at the quarterback position for sure. And then the wide receivers in 2021 aren't taking a backseat to anybody in 2020. Now, with that being said, the 2020 draft picks, I know, I know that they are burning holes in some of your pockets. I, I just, you know, I get DMs all the time. Ray, do I, I've, I've got an offer to, to trade this 2021st for X, Y, and Z. I've got an offer. I'm thinking about moving my 101 or my 103. Let me tell you something right now. Listen to me, turn, turn, turn whatever you're doing, tell your kid to be quiet, pipe down just a little bit, pull out a pen and pad, open your iPhone up, go to the notes section and, and write this down. Do not, if, if your dynasty league doesn't have a trading deadline, if your trade deadline is passed, but it opens back up after the season, which that's how mine are. They, they close down so people don't do stupid stuff during the playoffs. And right after week 16 of the NFL season, they open back up and you can trade regularly scheduled business. Do what you want to do. I don't care. But I repeat, do not, do not trade any 2020 draft picks right now. Don't do it. Don't trade them in December. Don't trade them in January. And don't trade them in February. There will be two or maybe three premier, primo, prime opportunities to move those picks. And right now is the absolute worst time to do it. Don't do it. I know, there, I know, it's, I know you're itching. I know that those picks are burning holes straight through your pockets like, like lava. But you got to hold. I need you to hold on to those picks Tighter and longer than Jalen Hurts holds the ball when he sees the defense shift pre-snap. Hold him. In your window to sell or acquire, or you probably ain't going to want to acquire, but to sell, those 2020 draft picks are going to be right after the combine when Henry Ruggs runs a 4-2-8, when Brandon Ayuk drops his fast time, when Jerry Judy's three cone is crazy, when Jonathan Taylor runs his 4-3, when Jalen Rager breaks player profiler, when Michael Pittman Jr. puts on a show to be 6'4", 230 pounds. Right after that happens, you've got a window because people are going to be like, oh, crap. I didn't know that Devin DuVernay was that fast. I didn't know that Isaiah Hodgins was that smooth. I had no clue that CeeDee Lamb ran a 4-4-40. That's when you sell. Right then and there. If you're going to do it, then you do it right after the combine. Right after, I think, day three is like the wide receivers and the running backs. And then day four is the other stuff, the tight ends or whatever the hell the schedule is. That's when you sell. The second window that you have to sell is right before, not on the, not when you're on the clock, but right during the NFL draft, okay? When those players are selected, when DeAndre Swift or Travis Etienne is picked by the Kansas City Chiefs, when, you know, Jalen Rager is selected by the New York Jets to give Sam Darnold another weapon. When these players are selected, you have an opportunity to sell at that point in time because people can actually see where they landed. We've got the landing spots. And if you're holding on, I, you know, personally, I think the best pick to have this year is the 102. Let whomever at 101, because I'm telling you, if you're playing a super flex format, 
the right decision, and I don't care what anybody says, I don't care how many freaking quarterbacks you have, the right decision at 101 in this draft without knowing any type of landing spot is Joe Burrow. That is the right choice at 101. The best spot to be is 102 because you've got your pick of DeAndre Swift, of Jerry Judy, of Jonathan Taylor, of Travis Etienne, because everybody's got a different opinion on these guys. Everybody has their own sort of, I think Etienne's the best running back. I think Chuba Hubbard's the best running back. No, it's Jerry Judy, the second coming of Amari Cooper. Right after their pick, you've got a window. And your third and final window, of course, is while you're on the clock during your rookie draft. Those are your three times you should be selling. You better not sell in December. You damn sure don't sell in January. What, 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 what good do you get out of selling your 101? What good do you get out of selling your 102? The NFL season is over, so Ezekiel it can't help you now. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey, there's a very real possibility he holds out next year. If I were him, I would. He needs to get paid, and he needs to be paid like a wide receiver and a running back because that's what he is. He's got an even better case than Le'Veon Bell because he hasn't missed games for stupid stuff or for injury. So there's no point in trading those picks. Wait. Hold them. Stop itching to sell them. Hold them until those three times. If you do that, you'll be a happy camper. If you sell any time before that, you've done it wrong. You've screwed up, and you're not going to have another opportunity to do it Again, well, until 2021, but after that, you're done, all right? So don't screw up. Make sure you hold those picks. Hold them tight. Lock them away. And I'm telling you, you'll be satisfied at the end result. All right, now let's get into the players, right? Let's talk about the Debbie MVPs. And the college football season is over. The top four teams for the college football playoffs, we all know who they are. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. So that'll be fun to watch those. All the bowl games have been um, uh, handed out. We know who's playing where. So it's it's done. College football's over. The 2019 season has been fantastic. And for Debbie-related purposes, the MVPs of Debbie, I'm just going to say the Debbie MVPs, is the entire LSU offense, period. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Clyde Edwards, Elaire, and Justin Jefferson. Those are your Debbie MVPs. There's nobody else. We knew Jonathan Taylor was going to be special. We knew Chuba Hubbard was going to ball out. We knew Jerry Judy was going to do his thing. We had high hopes for LaVisca Chennault, but we knew that Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were going to be studs. Nobody. Nobody. I don't even think LSU fans saw what was coming with this offense. Joe Burrow's ADP. Over the summer, 117th overall in Debbie startups. Jamar Chase, 42nd overall in Debbie startups. 42nd. He was going into the third, fourth round in a league that I was in. Clyde Edwards Elaire, 119th in startup ADP. Justin Jefferson, 117th in startup ADP. People were getting these guys for cheap, for free, or not at all. Those of you in Debbie depleted leagues, you're going to have a field day in twenty in the 2020 rookie draft. It's going to feel better than your actual rookie. I, I mean, it's going to feel fantastic sitting there with a one-on-one and a Debbie depleted, and you're able to grab Joe Burrow. You're able to get Clyde Edwards Elaire. You're able to get a Justin Jefferson because these guys were not picked. Colin Johnson and Jaden Hazelwood were selected before Jamar Chase. Everybody in college football was selected before Joe Burrow. I took freaking Jordan Love. Oh, 
in my own DDP listener league. I took Jordan Love in the third and was freaking out that I almost didn't get him. Those are the Debbie MVPs. I'm sorry. Joe, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Clyde Edwards, Elayer, Justin Jefferson, period. And, you know, Chase was the highest drafted of the bunch over the summer, and he's still 42nd overall ADP. Can you name me 10 players in fantasy football in Debbie that are better in, in Jamar Chase? I, I think not. I moved him up to my wide receiver two overall in the Debbie landscape over Rondell Moore. The only player that I have ranked ahead of him from the wide receiver position is C.D. Lamb. He's that good. He's that talented. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. He makes every catch. He's good after the catch. He's competitive. Sophomore season, ridiculous numbers. What, what, what more do you want? Debbie MVPs go to the entire LSU offense. Now I want to get into some All-American studs and duds, and I'm going to go through the positions. I'm going to give you 2020 eligible prospect. I'm going to give you my underclassmen, and I'm going to give you my duds, all right? So from the quarterback position, not going to spend a lot of time here, but first team, Debbie All-American for the DDP is LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. What he's done from a passing standpoint, he's everything that you want. And listen, I know you look at him, you know, this this stigma that only black quarterbacks are mobile, that only black quarterbacks are athletic is false. I'm telling you right now, Joe Burrow will never be confused. Let me make this very clear. He will never be confused with Lamar Jackson, but he damn sure doesn't need to be confused for Tom Brady because this kid is mobile. He can get out of the pocket. He can move in the pocket. If he's flush from the pocket, he can make some plays with his legs. Now, you don't want him out there running zone reads and doing quarterback keepers all the time. No, 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 I'm not saying that. But he does provide that rushing upside, right? It wouldn't surprise me if on top of the 30 touchdown passes he's going to throw in the NFL, he gives you a couple of rushing touchdowns, a couple of rushing scores every season. He gives you 200, 300 rushing yards. If you're telling me that Joe Burrow can go out there and throw for 4,000 yards and give me another 250 to 300 on the ground every season – I'll take that every day of the week. Joe Burrow is not a statue quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, nor Brock Purdy. Although, again, the stigma around white pocket passers, right? They can't move. That, that's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie. Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, and Brock Purdy, all three of them can deliver from the pocket, but all three of them, you blitz them if you want to, and you don't have a spy on them, they'll be taken off down the field making plays with their legs. My underclassmen, DDP All-American quarterbacks, University of North Carolina freshman Sam Howell and University of Southern Cal freshman Keaton Slovis. Both of these guys showed a lot. Didn't expect anything from either of those guys coming into the season. And Howell, man, over 3,300 passing yards, 35 TDs, 7 picks on the season. And he's got Mac Brown as the head coach. I think Sam Howell, we're going to be talking about him in the next couple of years, right up there with Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels as a first-round talent in Superflex formats. And Keaton Slovis came out of nowhere. He was not expected to play this year with JT Daniels coming back. But Graham Harrell in the mix, and it looks like we'll be losing him. And I say we because I am a USC fan. But with Clay Helton returning, I think this is Keaton Slovis' job. I know a lot of people were excited about JT Daniels, but the devastating knee injury and Slovis threw for over 3,000 yards, 28 TDs, and showed a lot of toughness as a true freshman. And I think his rapport and development is only going to grow with Amon Ross St. Brown and Drake and and all that that wonderful talent that Southern California offers. So definitely well-deserving of the DDP underclass All-Americans. 
and my big duds for this season. I had high hopes for both of these players, and I alluded to one earlier, but it's Utah State quarterback Jordan Love and Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez. There were some who thought Martinez is the Heisman Trophy contender coming into the season, and he's been absolutely putrid passing the ball. Nine interceptions, 10 touchdowns. Didn't even crack 2,000 yards. I know he dealt with a couple of injuries, was benched a couple of times. He did rush for almost 700 yards, but from a passing standpoint, he does not look like he, he he did not look like he improved this year, and he is not as dynamic of a runner to make up for uh, the absolute. Uh, he just looked inadequate throwing the ball. And Jordan Love, after week one, I don't I'm not even say week one. After like two quarters of Utah State's opening game, I prematurely touted Jordan Love as the number two quarterback prospect in the 2020 class. I only did it on Twitter one time. It was one tweet. It's still there somewhere. But uh, no, he is not that. There has been reports that he's thinking about doing a grad transfer. I think the schools that I saw was the University of Houston, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech. I think he should come back. 3,000 passing yards, 17 TDs, 16 interceptions. He shows all the arm talent you want, but just from a from the mental IQ processing standpoint, he needs to develop. He's somebody that you would not want to throw in the fire as a rookie in the NFL. That would be a tremendous mistake. Jordan Love had high hopes. A lot of people did. Adrian Martinez, the two DDP All-American duds. Now, moving on to the running backs, I've got two guys at the top of my list who I think have just been head and shoulders above the rest in college football, and that is Ohio State running back J.K. Dobbins and Clemson running back Travis Etienne. What both of these guys did this season has been spectacular. Etienne over 1,300 yards on minimal carries. I mean, he doesn't touch the ball in the fourth quarter. He has shown a better ability to catch the ball out of the backfield over 20 receptions this year. He just looks fantastic. He's a home run threat every time he touches the ball. I was a little lower on ETN coming in the season. I think I had him ranked third or maybe even fourth. And he still might be there for me, but he is a tier one running back. I, I, I said that I'm done ranking. I, I, I really am. Like I have to rank. I, I rank for DLF, so I will rank, but they're inside tiers. He and J.K. Dobbins are tier one running backs for me. Dobbins is fantastic. He is just, he's so good, man. I mean, his elusiveness, his vision, his power, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I know a lot of people are a little concerned about his pass blocking, but I I think it's in more of a technique issue and not a want issue because he is a very physical player. But those two for me, and I, there are so many running backs to choose from, right? I love Najee Harris and Clyde edwards Lair, and how can you knock Jonathan Taylor and what he's done this season? But the opportunities that ETN didn't have and what J.K. Dobbins showed on film this year, I think those two are, are more than deserving of the DDP first team, all Americans from the running back positions. My underclassman award, I, I know a lot of people are on the Zach Charbonnet train as far as the best freshman running back in the country. And I think he is the second best running back in the country because Iowa State's freshman, Brees Hall, 6'1, 205. He's the best freshman runner in the 2022 class. He is outstanding. When I watch him play, he reminds me of a Joe Mixon-type player, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, ran for over 800 yards as a true freshman, nine TDs, almost hit that 20 receptions mark. He probably will get that in his bowl game. I I, I think Brees Hall is prime for a massive, 
massive year two campaign because Iowa State has some legitimate firepower coming back on the offensive side of the ball led by Brock Purdy. They've got a fantastic tight end that we'll touch on a little bit later, but my underclassman award for the running back position in Debbie this year is Brees Hall. My dud, uh, somebody that I am, I was very high on coming into the season, and it's University of Texas running back Keontae Ingram. Now, his stats are almost identical to 2018, literally, as far as carries, uh, a few more rushing yards this season, the exact same amount of receptions, the exact same amount of receiving TDs. He has three more rushing TDs on the season, but he just did not take that step forward. He did not make the leap. I thought we were going to see a 12, 1,300-yard rusher. He's got the size, right? He's 6'1", 220, can catch the ball out of the backfield. But he was overtaken in his own backfield by a converted quarterback this year. And I don't – it seemed like after the LSU game, if you go back and watch that game, he dropped a wide-open touchdown pass versus LSU, and that was a momentum-changing play. After that game, it just seemed like he just couldn't get right all season. I know he dealt with a little knee injury coming into the year, so I don't know if that hampered him throughout the season. But Roshan Johnson really looked like the better running back of the two, and – I've got Debbie shares of Keontae Ingram, so uh, disappointing to see him and the lack of development from him this season. Now, the wide receiver All-Americans, I've got four. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm two on the left side, two on the right, two X and two Y. I just, it's my show. I'll do what I want to do, all right? So I'm naming four, and all four of these guys went over 1,100 yards receiving. Well, one of them almost hit 1,100 yards, but I'm just going to say he, he's going to get it in his bowl game. He's going to have two bowl games, and he's going to get 1,100 yards. So all these guys went over 1,100 receiving yards. All of them had 13-plus TDs. All of them look like they are going to be absolute studs at the next level. And I'm talking about LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. Surprise, surprise. Clemson wide receiver T. Higgins. Oklahoma wide receiver C.D. Lamb. And Oregon State wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins. All of those guys, fantastic, fantastic wide receiver talents. They're all over six foot two. They're either six foot two or taller. They have the production stats from their freshman, sophomore, junior seasons, and they all look like they're going to be rock stars at the next level. Chase, I, I can't bestow any more superlatives on Jamar Chase and how fantastic he's been this season. And I'm not taking a thing away from from him. Yes, that offense was ridiculous with Joe Burrow and a fantastic running back. But the plays that he made against the coverages that he faced, you, you, you can't deny what Jamar Chase did. He's going to go over 20 touchdowns when it's all said and done after this college football season is over. From the receiver position, T. Higgins might have the best ball tracking ability. Uh, he and CeeDee Lamb are right there with ball tracking ability. When it's in the air, they just go get it. Isaiah Hodgins is smooth, 6'4", over 200 pounds and smooth, can catch everything, tough physical player. Those wide receivers have been just absolutely phenomenal all season, and there are so many more that are deserving of recognition and praise. Uh, I've talked about Devin DuVernay, Michael Pittman, Jerry Judy's had a good year, Devonta Smith's had a fantastic season. So it just shows the depth of this wide receiver class, and um, just if you've got those third and fourth round picks, you'll be happy if you keep them. Somebody else will be happy to trade for them. It's a win-win situation all the way around. My underclassman, freshman wide receiver, All-Americans for the DDP is Purdue freshman David Bell, 6'2", 210. And I don't think enough people are talking about David Bell. 
David Bell was not supposed to be what he is right now. Ron Elmo was supposed to be the man after catching over 110 passes. He's a true freshman. I mean, he started off the season with a bang and looked like he was well on his way to replicating that freshman season production. Got hurt. Probably could have come back. But why, why even risk it for Rondell Moore? Purdue wasn't winning anything significant. And why mess up his future NFL draft stock with the knee injury? But David Bell exploded onto the scene. Over 1,000 receiving yards. He's got that prototypical size. He's fast. He's physical. He's good. And next year, I, I'm trying to think of a better duo in college football than David Moore and Rondell, David Bell and Rondell Moore, and I really can't think of one. I know they're, you know, the next guy that I'm going to talk about, he's got a counterpart across from him that's pretty doggone good, but David is somebody that I believe should be targeted maybe in your Debbie startups into the first. I'd take him in the first round, second round, definitely top of the second round of Debbie startup drafts. And Garrett Wilson, you know, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to say, hey, look at us, we're the best. But I think the production from the Purdue guys, you can't deny that. But Garrett Wilson doesn't have the receiving production, right, because Chris Olave, K.J. Hill, um, Benjamin Victor, they still have a lot of talent on that Ohio State roster. But what I really liked about Garrett Wilson, he's only got 26 grabs on the season, but five of those have gone for touchdowns, and he's an active punt returner. I like to see my wide receivers be versatile because you can get on the field really quick in the NFL if you can return punts right away. Play on offense, return punts. It shows that you're a playmaker. You're a special kid. You work hard at it. And Garrett Wilson is going to be ridiculous. He's made some catches this season. He's just giving you glimpses, right? I, I thought about putting George Pickens here, but if I'm on the clock, I'd probably go Garrett Wilson over George Pickens, but that's not an indictment against Pickens because he's going to be an absolute stud as well. 2022 class of wide receivers looks like it's going to be really good. My dud, and uh, talked about these guys a couple of weeks ago, and I'm really not going to focus on Jalen Rager, but he did not live up to what we thought. Max Duggan, I think he's going to be okay as a quarterback prospect moving forward, but Sonny Cumbie in the TCU offense, if you think watching Georgia every Saturday is boring and a drag and confusing, uh, sit through four quarters of a TCU Horn Frogs game, and I guarantee you, if your eyes aren't bleeding by the time you're done watching it, um, you'll want to rip him out because it's it's just it's disgusting how he's used. But with that being said, he still I think his dominator rating is still going to be close to 38% when it's all said and done because of the minimal times that they do pass the ball, Jalen Rager's making something out of nothing. But LaVisca Chenault, he was everybody's preseason first-team All-American. He was supposed to be an absolute rock star this year. He just, it, it didn't happen. Mel Tucker's offense didn't really give him the opportunity. He was limping on and off the field all the time. He just, he, he, he just didn't look like LaVisca Chenault. And I am very concerned about the injury history. He only had three games this season where he went over 100 yards. In one of those games, he hit 100 right on the dot. Again, I'm not going to put it fully on LaVisca, but the expectations for him were a lot higher than they were for Jalen Rager, even though Rager was a my guy. Consensus amongst the college football industry was LaVisca Chenault was supposed to be the guy in college football, and it did not pan out that way. So uh, I think at this point, his price as far as startup draft capital or rookie draft capital is more palatable. I, I, I don't feel as bad taking a shot on LaVisca Chenault now that he should not go 
in the top five or probably even top 10 of dynasty rookie drafts. Now, if he gets high draft capital and lands in a good situation, that could change. But I'm just concerned about how beat up and banged up he is. All right, the tight ends, the most unfun position to scout in all of college football. The, the guy that really stood out to me more than anybody, and I know Hunter Bryant is the name that people talk about the most, the Washington uh, tight end. And I think Hunter Bryant is a good tight end. But Harrison Bryant, 6'5", 240 out of FAU, is my guy. He's looked really good in the games that I saw. And I actually watched some FAU games because Lane Kiffin used to be at USC, and he's just an entertaining coach. Harrison Bryant is a fast player. I mean, he's got that prototypical size and averaging 15.4 yards of reception. When he gets the ball, he can make some plays. So I think Harrison Bryant is somebody that if you need a tight end, you could probably get him fourth round of your dynasty rookie drafts. Unless the New England Patriots select him in the second round, you know, tight ends, you don't have to spend high draft capital, if any draft capital at all. If you pay attention to the show, I mean, they're going to be tight ends undrafted in your dynasty rookie drafts that you can pluck off your waiver wires that could potentially end up being something for you. I was very high on Foster Moreau coming out of LSU. He's somebody that I got off the, the waiver wire. Cahill Waring, waiver wire guy. Dawson Knox ended up going a little bit higher in our dynasty rookie drafts in my home leagues. But the point is, if you pay attention to this show, if you pay attention to the Debbie Happy Hour, you'll be well prepared for your dynasty rookie drafts to find that tight end off your waiver wire. Now, the underclassman that you need to know about is Charlie Kohler. I think that's how you say his name. K-O-L-A-R out of Iowa State. He's a sophomore, 6'6", 250. And when I talked about Iowa State and Brees Hall and Brock Purdy, he's going to be a big part of their game next year. Had 48 receptions, 675 yards, and seven TDs. Again, 6'6", 250. I'm looking for size. I'm looking for athleticism. And this kid has it all. Somebody that you don't have to spend any type of Devi capital whatsoever drafting. But just remember the name. Keep your eye out. So that's a list of my Devi All-Americans, underclassmen, studs, and duds for the 2019 season. All right, now I said that once the college football season was over, I was going to move on from 2020, that I'm going to start focusing my attention on the high school prospects who are going to be committing quite soon on 2021, on 2022, and start to take an early look at 2023, and this is a Debbie show, so that's what I intend to do. However, I am not going to abandon you 2020ers. I'm not going to abandon going deep into these prospects and in what it, this does, what this allows me to do is really dive into the analytical side of some of these prospects. So I will be able to go more in depth. And I remember if you go back to the earlier shows, I, I did some segments where I went Eno Benjamin versus Keyshawn Vaughn, Jerry Judy versus the field, Jonathan Taylor versus Travis Etienne. And we really dug into those prospects games. What differentiates the two? What are the areas of concern? What are some of the pros and cons that each of these players have? That allows me the opportunity to do that now. And I do plan on taking a deep dive look at some of these players each and every episode. Now, the whole focus of the show is not going to be on 2020. It'll be a segment in the show. I plan on having a good crew of guests line up to come on and talk about different things where we think some fruitful landing spots will be amongst the 2020 class, what we can expect moving forward in Devi Leagues, how do we improve our Devi Leagues, what cool strategies or unique takes in league format and settings can we apply to make this the most enjoyable format of Dynasty Fantasy Football to play, and I'm committed to giving you that. Now, with it being the offseason, will I go weekly? I don't know what I'm going to do yet. 
I really don't know. I don't know if I'm going to put out a show every week. It will definitely be every other week. So depending on the content and what I have lined up, if I do go every other week, the shows will be a little bit longer. The episodes will probably push close to an hour. But what I will promise you is I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to just be on the mic to be on the mic with fluff and filler. I'm going to make sure that the content that you digest is something that can be applied and applicable for your dynasty leagues, for your Debbie drafts. And one of the things that I really, really want to do and really want to talk about, and I'll work on that over the next couple of weeks, is have a Debbie depleted rookie draft show. I want to talk about the guys who are going to be available in your Debbie leagues during your rookie draft, because I think that is very valuable in this year of, of of all years, there's going to be some really good talent in your dynasty rookie drafts for your depleted de- in your depleted Devi leagues. So uh, that's something that I'm working on. Again, lining up good guests. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed this 2019 college football season. It's been fun. Uh, the bowl games should be fun. The college football playoffs will be dominated by LSU. I hope we should have an LSU-Clemson national championship. Joe Burrow's going to win the Heisman. Joe Burrow's going number one overall. And my last parting note is do not discount those those rookie draft picks, those depleted rookie draft picks in your Debbie leagues because you never know when it's going to turn into Joe Burrow. So with that being said, I'm rambling. You know what's next. Properly.